Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. Today, we are back with the final entry, that is right, the final, we have reached the end, the conclusion of our three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic interview series. I have been speaking with a wide variety of friends, colleagues, and professionals working in the film industry, largely in my backyard of Oklahoma. I've spoken with each guest about how the pandemic has impacted their line of work before talking about the three different movies that helped them get through it all. Our guest for this final episode is Lisa K. Broad, PhD, the head of film programming and theatrical operations at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. I'll talk with Lisa about how the pandemic impacted the museum's ability to play films before discussing how Lisa's team pivoted to a virtual cinema before closing out the conversation to hear her three different film selections. Now, before we get to more information on Lisa, I wanted to make an important announcement about special upcoming programming for The Cinematropolis. Starting next week, The Cinematropolis will be partnering with the Dead Center Film Festival to provide thoughtful conversations that excite, inspire, and connect filmmakers and film enthusiasts in order to foster film-going communities across the state of Oklahoma as part of the Dead Center 2021 Film Festival. We'll be hosting exclusive interviews with a variety of filmmakers, festival staff, and notable attendees. Now, longtime listeners out there know that we have always dead centered very hard here at the Cinematropolis, and I'm very excited that we'll be able to do so in an even more official partnership capacity this year. And outside of just tuning in to new episodes of the Cinematic Schematic podcast, I want to encourage you to support the Dead Center Film Festival by buying a pass and checking out their great film lineup at deadcenterfilm.org. So again, you can find more information at deadcenterfilm.org. Now, with that announcement behind us, let's talk a little bit about today's guest. Lisa Broad joined the Oklahoma City Museum of Arts film program in 2017 and has served as the head of film programming and theatrical operations since April 2020. She earned her Ph.D. in Cinema Studies from New York University, where she received the 2017 J. Leda Award for Academic Excellence. And her dissertation research focused on the relationship between film and the philosophical notion of possible worlds. In addition to teaching graduate and undergraduate courses on film style and contemporary international cinema, Lisa has published and presented on French film, Hitchcock, and philosophy and theories of cinematic realism. And of course, I have to just say here, as a big fan of everything they're doing at MOA, uh, the Oklahoma City Museum of Arts Theater is one of Oklahoma City's best places to catch those small, independent, informed films that very often uh, miss the multiplex or even some of the other independent cinemas here in Oklahoma City. With all of that said, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our final interview of the series with Lisa. Welcome back, everyone. We have another really exciting guest as part of our three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic interview series. Today, I am so thrilled to be joined by Lisa Broad, PhD, also the head of film programming and theatrical operations at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. Lisa, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Hi, it's great to be here. 
Virtually, yeah. Virtually, yes, yeah, <laughs> 100%. Well, uh, you know, we are sitting here in, we're actually recording this in April of 2021, so really 2020 in a lot of ways is in the rear view mirror, and the pandemic is largely, fingers crossed, knock on wood, all the things. Uh, we hope it's behind you. So overall, how would you say you're doing today? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I actually, I just got my second vaccine yesterday, so I am... Uh, sore and optimistic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, it seems like things are kind of picking up a little bit. I actually just noticed right before this, um, we have a screening of Minari tonight at the theater as part of our Oscar programming. And I mean, we're still just at like 25% capacity, but for us, it sold out. And so it seems like people are excited to be back in the theater. And, you know, and we got this nice weather. So I feel like you know, things are picking up, which is, it's, it's great. So, I mean, we'll probably get into this here in a little bit, but Minari is a, a great one, a really hot topic with a lot of folks we've talked to just because it was, you know, produced here in Oklahoma. Is that, um, is that, is that pretty cool for you guys to actually play stuff that's filmed and made here in Oklahoma as part of your Oscar series? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, just that kind of connection that it's found with people. Um, we opened it, I think, back in February. So it's kind of, we've, you know, just been kind of holding it for a really long time. And just people's kind of enthusiasm and interest for it and how it's built, you know, over the time has been amazing. And I think, I mean, people are always excited about the Oscar stuff. It's some of our biggest programming every year. But I think this film, especially that, you know, it's such a beautiful and sort of heartwarming film at a time that people need it and that it's produced in Oklahoma and it's nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. I mean, I think all these things together, it's been, you know, kind of an amazing thing for us. Like in a way, it's 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 one of the films that's like gotten our theater through the pandemic. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that's possible. So that's that's been really awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more chatter around uh, the, the Oscar stuff uh, here later in the conversation. But I just have to say, um, as a haven't been to the theater uh, in over a year just since stuff shut down, but I think I've caught the Oscar uh, animated uh, shorts and also the short docs and then a couple of the, the best picture noms that you guys play there uh, pretty much every year up until this year so far. Um, and fingers crossed, maybe, maybe I'll get to sneak one in uh, towards the end of April. But um, you guys do tremendously great programming. It feels like a really unique theatrical experience. Now, as the head of film programming and theatrical operations at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art, can you tell me a little bit more about your day-to-day and what that looked like before the pandemic? Um, before, actually, before the pandemic, I uh, I worked kind of as like a, a contractor for the museum. Um, and so basically like I did uh, some programming and marketing and stuff for the film program, but I mostly, uh, worked from home actually. And so, uh, I actually, I think I was offered the position of head of film programming in February, like March, 2020. And I was scheduled to basically take over April 6th. And so the pandemic essentially hit like between when I kind of got the job and when I actually started the job. And I mean, so in a way for me, partially because I had been already working from home, like I was kind of ready to go in that respect and that I was kind of already doing stuff from a laptop. Um, But, but obviously, I mean, the closure of the theater, which I think for us was March 15th, I mean, was this like massive change. And um, 
you know, and they closed the museum as a whole, but the, but yeah, for the theater, we kind of suddenly had to scramble and think like, you know, what are we going to do now? Um, and I mean, I guess, uh, you know, we started with mostly kind of, we did a lot of like blogging and stuff at the beginning. There was kind of this, uh, OKCMOA at home initiative that we started right away and the different departments at the museum did blog posts kind of one day each week and we did film on Friday and so we started off kind of doing recommendations for stuff like I remember one of the first posts we did was like a I think a woman's history month um, post where we recommended stuff from Canopy the uh, free kind of streaming service through the library and so we did a lot of that kind of you know saying like um you know, where you could kind of find stuff, especially stuff that, you know, kind of fit our mission, art cinema, like world cinema, indie films uh, that you could watch from home, you know, and and I hope to find some people could watch kind of without subscribing to a streaming service too. But that was like before virtual cinema even was a thing that we were aware of. Uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah. so, I mean, like, would you say like you, you guys sort of pivoted a little bit, obviously you're like, oh no, we, we can't show movies. The entire museum for a period w- was shut down and you're, you're thinking, okay, what can we do to be a part of the conversation, especially early on? I mean, a lot of people literally, I mean, we, there's just so many variables we didn't know. We didn't even know how like the virus was spread, for example, um, so, I mean, would you say like you guys really pursued like that content recommendation system just so you could remain like a good resource for like, you know, the people who are turning out your theater each month? Yeah, that's what we definitely tried to do, especially for like the first couple like weeks and months. Um, and, and once I guess, yeah, the, once virtual cinema kind of became a possibility, I mean, we didn't really know. I remember, I, I think, um we got an email about Baccarat, which was the first one that Kino did. Um, and, you know, and we were like, yeah, like we'll, we'll definitely like try to do this. And, and I think then like, we didn't know if that would be the only one or if it would be this thing that would kind of, you know, keep going. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, you know, we kind of, and then we basically did two, you know, start doing uh, some, blog content and stuff about the virtual films that we had. And so it was, I think a lot about trying to make as much film content available as we could, but also kind of show people like, you know, we're here still, we're, we're at home, but we're still kind of, you know, watching and trying to like think of ways to connect with you and try to kind of engage with you about film. Uh, And so it's sort of a strange period of figuring out how to talk to people when we were all apart. Right. Like you're, you're, you're running a movie theater that can't play movies. So it's like, how do we like, how how can you still be there and be a part of the, you know, I mean, I would say you guys probably have a lot of the same types of folks turning out in the theater, you know, each week or each month. So it's like, how can I stay uh, engaged in that? One thing for listeners out there who maybe aren't as familiar, I'd love to just get your, your perspective on what exactly, when we say virtual cinema, what exactly is that, you know, at least in the context of what you do at the OKC MOA? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something where I think, you know, even that terminology, like I think we didn't really know what to call it at first, but there are uh, films where distributors basically set up a, a ticket link. Usually they use, you know, Vimeo or VHX or Inventive, these kind of uh, online platforms and they're able to buy a ticket uh 
to stream a film and a portion of the proceeds from that purchase support the museum. And so it's kind of this, uh, like you're purchasing kind of a movie ticket for a streamed film. So it's kind of like video on demand to some extent, only um, you use it to support uh, closed uh, art houses in that, you know, in that case, while we were, we were still closed. Uh, so it's a way you can kind of support your theater, your specific like brick and mortar theater while watching streaming content. And I know one thing that I've experienced in virtual cinema at a couple of film festivals, do, do you guys utilize the tactic of saying, hey, this movie is only going to play during these set hours. So if you buy a ticket, you can watch it during the set hours. Or is it one of those where you would say, hey, this ticket, th- this film is going to be available in our virtual cinema for a week and you can just buy a ticket and watch it whenever? Mostly the the second one. Uh, we had a f- we kind of let the or worked just with the distributors kind of setting the terms. Um, I know with, with Minari, which, you know, was a great one that we did virtually for a while, they set up a specific screening time. So say every night at seven, they would have like a block of virtual tickets that you could buy. Um, and so there you kind of scheduled when you wanted to watch it and you could pick that out. But for the most part for our stuff, um, they would kind of just like go live on a certain day. And then usually you'd have a couple weeks to like a month to just watch it whenever you wanted to. Um, and some of them you could pre-order before it actually went live and you could get an email that would, you know, tell you your film is ready and you can watch it, you know, whenever you like, but usually people would have, uh, some amount of time, like a couple of weeks to start it. And then once you start it, you have usually like three days to watch it. And so it's pretty flexible, which, you know, is, is nice for people. Um, we're actually doing the Oscar shorts virtually as well this year, which has been really cool. And so people can, you can either kind of rent them separately or you could rent them like all together. And there's like a bit of a discount. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's like you can spread them out over, you know, a period of time or you could like binge them all like on the same day. And so it's kind of up to you what you want to do with it. Yeah, very cool. Well, I mean, I, I will say just listeners, uh, the, the Oscar short, pretty much any of the Oscar shorts blocks, uh, particularly the animated one makes for a really great date night. Pretending on your, So I do highly recommend. <laughs> um, OK, so, I mean, if you could like, uh, I mean, I know there were a lot of you know, challenges specifically that kind of came up, you know, in various phases of the pandemic. So like, what would you say, what what challenges did you have to overcome to ensure that that programming continued to remain uh, top of mind? And and I want to say more, even more specifically, I know you have the film society. uh, So for those film society members. Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, in general, kind of, making people like aware of, of virtual programming and, and kind of how to use it. Cause it's such this big shift was something that, I mean, you know, I had to do a lot to kind of teach myself this stuff because I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, kind of walking some people through like how to use these platforms was something that, you know, I was kind of excited to be able to do. Um, and in terms of the, uh, the film uh, society, yeah, we, uh, did a fun virtual event where we watched Martin Eden, um, the Italian film, which uh, we all really loved. And we uh, were able to give virtual passes to our film society members. And then we had kind of a Zoom discussion around around the film with um, some of our 
kind of colleagues and critics and stuff that we that we know. And so that was a pretty fun event. Um, and we're working on another one now that I think we're going to set for May, where we have another uh, uh, film that we're going to show. I think hopefully we're still kind of working on it, but maybe um, we might have the opportunity to have the film both in person and virtual, maybe both options like we've been trying to do. And then um, we're going to have a scholar talk about it on, on Zoom. So we've been trying as much as possible to do some kind of hybrid stuff uh, and try to make people feel, you know, comfortable, like people who are feeling comfortable kind of coming into the theater um, you know, are able to do that. And we have social distancing in place and a mask, uh, requirement and, you know, enhanced cleaning procedures and stuff like that. But also, you know, we try to make stuff available virtually too, as much as possible, because I think it's great to kind of have both of those options. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I guess that's sort of like leads me to my next question. It's just thinking about the virtual option. It's almost like a, a Pandora's box sort of situation. You know, it's been, now that it's an option and there's probably, I, I would imagine there's probably a chunk of your audience who actually prefers that methodology or at least likes to have it as an option like do you see that as a part of you all strategy moving forward even coming out of the pandemic i hope so it's kind of it's kind of hard to say in that i don't know how long distributors i guess will make stuff available virtually but if if they do i mean it's something that i you know i've always kind of wanted even after the theater opened you know to keep that up and not just to say like, you know, like now that we're open, like that's it. And you either come see a movie in the theater or like, you know, you can't kind of participate in our uh, film program, but it's also kind of been, I think lately it's been this place where we can kind of offer people more film content, like say screening now kind of like we have our big Oscar program in the theater and that, is something that people really look forward to. And I think it's kind of welcoming people back to the theater in a nice way. And it's this kind of very celebratory thing. But but I also understand that, you know, not everybody's into the Oscars necessarily. And there's kind of a lot of, uh, you know, there's kind of a lot of different interests in film. And I think that also virtu virtual cinema is like a place where we can, you know, uh, program some kind of alternative things too. Like I have this... Um, Brazilian film called The Fever in there right now that I it's from uh, I think uh, it won Best Actor at the Locarno Film Festival and it's just this like kind of amazing somewhat experimental drama kind of set in the Brazilian rainforest and so I'm kind of glad I can offer that alongside the Oscar programming and so there's you know I feel like there's kind of something for everyone that way and it kind of helps us to keep in touch with some of the distributors who maybe aren't releasing films for theaters yet. And so we're able to kind of still get great movies from them that we can offer, you know, virtually, like until they're kind of ready to put stuff out in theaters. It's said that the, the best advertising is those sorts of theatrical releases. And if people are coming to you for theatrical releases and playing your theaters, they can get engaged and you, you also, uh, you know, program. I mean, I, I think the visibility you guys provide to those films that might not otherwise get seen um, goes a really, really long way, uh, at least in that discoverability. Now, I, I'm curious, though, just talking about some of the programming, obviously, we are right in the midst of odds, uh, Oscar season as we're recording this. Uh, like, would you say that the types of films you chose were at all influenced by the pandemic? Um, I know for a lot of folks, 
turned out to be like a lot of lighter fare. I was just interested if if it in any way just sort of like the state of mind of, you know, your your customers or, you know, your members may have influenced the way you decided to program. I mean, I definitely think it did a little bit for sure. Um, especially kind of when we first came back in, uh, it was late June that we started showing films again in the theater. And, and yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to select movies that kind of made people feel comfortable, like make them feel happy and, and kind of like remind people of, you know, all the good things about seeing a movie in a theater. Um, and say one of the first ones that we did, we did the uh, the trip to Greece, um, the uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon film. And that uh, series was one that I think has been, you know, something that a lot of people love. But I think in particular people at the museum, um, when I actually first moved to Oklahoma City, it was around the time the trip to Italy came out. And that was one of the first, I actually saw that in the theater here. And it was one of the, first kind of really like big kind of almost like sold out crowd movies that I saw here and people were just so into it and everyone kind of loved those films. And so that was something once we uh, came back where I was like, I want to kind of, you know, start where we left off a little bit, but I mean, I think even like intuitively, you know, yeah, we programmed some lighter movies and even movies, you know, that were kind of more audience inclusive, kind of like, PG and even G movies. Um, one that we did, I think that was really fun over the summer was we did a series of uh, rock doc, kind of classic rock documentaries. And that was one of our kind of bigger early turnouts. And I think, you know, it reminds people how great it is to see a film on the big screen, see if a movie in a theater with like really good sound. And, you know, and so I, I, I felt really good about people coming back for that. We're shifting gears here towards 2021. We're looking further ahead. We're already in April. From your perspective, how are things looking for you? Are they looking up? Are they down? About the same? Um, I mean, I think, you know, in terms of uh, audience, I mean, we definitely aren't uh, back to kind of where we were, even uh, in terms, I mean, we are still kind of limiting capacity to about 25% in the theater. And I think we'll talk at some point about maybe, you know, opening that up a little bit once people have more of a chance to get vaccinated. But, you know, looking back at, say, the Oscar uh, shorts in previous years, you know, like we had, you know, we occasionally would kind of sell out our whole big theater. And so it'll be a while until I think we get back to a place where, you know, we're having like lots and lots of people in the theater, which I think, you know, is a good thing in, in most respects. But I mean, I think film wise, I have a lot of stuff that I'm looking forward to. Um, I can see there's say a lot of the uh, distribution companies that we work with, like, they have these kind of back catalogs of amazing movies that came out of festivals like last year or this year. And, and I think a lot of times they've kind of been waiting until, you know, until basically like everyone reopens and kind of there's more of this comfort going back to the theater to kind of release these things. And so I think, I think we'll have a lot of great movies coming out in 2021 that we've kind of been waiting for this entire time. And so I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, hope there. I actually had the opportunity to 
do the Berlin Film Festival online this year, which is something that, you know, we've gone to in person in the past. And, um, you know, and there was, there were a lot of great movies from all over the world that I'm really excited about. And, you know, and I've seen a few of those have gotten picked up. Um, say there's one, uh, The Girl and the Spider, which is a Swiss movie, which um, I really loved. And I think I think it's gotten picked up by Cinema Guild, which is one of the companies that we work with. And so I'll be excited to see them maybe put that out. And so it'll be great to see some of these movies that I've only seen on a, a laptop on a big screen, hopefully in 2021 something. Now, Lisa, I've asked you to select three different movies that helped you get through that especially challenging year, and I'm really excited to hear what you picked. Uh, These are not going to be in ranked order, uh, so we're just going to go one, two, three, based on whatever order uh, makes most sense to you. So let's start with your first film. What is the first film you selected for us today? This was like, this was really tough. Like I, I basically changed my mind like this morning about this one. So it's uh, actually speaking, I guess, about you know, virtual cinema and how that's been um, kind of this huge thing. The first one that I chose was a movie that I, that we hosted in our virtual cinema that I saw and really loved and put on my top 10 list for the year. And it's uh, House of Hummingbird, which is a Korean movie by Kim Bora. She's a uh, sort of debut writer, director, It is part of, I think, this really great trend of really exciting movies coming out of Korea. Um, And it's a coming-of-age story set in 1994 in Seoul, Korea, and it focuses on a 14-year-old girl named Yoon-hee, and she's this kind of shy uh, kind of adolescent girl trying to find her way and sort of you know, uh, clashing with like her family and trying to decide who she wants to date. And it's this kind of really luminous, beautiful movie. Um, But it's also, I think it has this kind of epic like weight to it. Like it's almost two and a half hours long, which is, which is really interesting, I think for like a coming of age story Mm -hmm. in that they tend often to be these like slight, almost, sketch-like movies and and so you know and I think it's kind of uh autobiographical a little bit based on the director's experiences and I just thought it was really cool that this kind of young woman she's I think she's right about my age um and she uh, that she was like I'm going to make you know this movie partially inspired by my life and I'm going to give it kind of this epic like weight in this kind of, you know, grand scale. And so now was something I was really excited to see. Yeah. No, I mean, is this like, a, I mean, it sounds like it really struck a chord there. Do you, do you foresee this one that you'll be going back to? Are you a big movie rewatcher or do you, was it one of those like right time, right place sort of movies? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, 
lately I'm not, I used to be a huge rewatcher. Like when I was younger, all of my favorite movies, I basically had memorized. And I think now partially with programming, I, it's rare that I, that I watch the same thing more than once lately, but I mean, it's definitely a movie that has really, the, the images really have stuck with me and it's a movie that I've thought about quite a bit. And so, so I think in that respect, it'll, it'll stay with me. I hope maybe, maybe someday I'll, I'll have the time to watch it again. Yeah, certainly. Let's move on to the second film though. What, what is your next selection for us today? My second one actually is a movie that I have, I have rewatched. Um, and it's Existence by David Cronenberg. There's an intimacy involved in playing Existence that is beyond description. They just pop your spine with a little hydro gun. Break out of your cage, Paco. I haven't crippled anyone yet. Step into my office. Now I'm warning you. Going to be a wild ride. The new millennium. This is amazing. Will bring a new experience. You're the power source. We'll see how natural it feels. Where the playing field is a parallel universe. The game's a lot more fun when it starts feeling realer than real. No use fighting. Cronenberg is actually one of my my favorite filmmakers, and he's one of the filmmakers I think weirdly that appealed to me like when I was in high school like I owned a videotape copy of Existence that I bought when they used to sell movies that were kind of cast-offs from like a video store I went and I bought a copy of Existence and so that's movie a movie that I've watched quite a bit um Cronenberg movies I I've I've re-watched probably more than others and and I think you know it's uh kind of a sci-fi thriller about uh, virtual reality video game designers. Um, And it's kind of this embedded narration where they're kind of trying to suss out kind of threats against this game designers uh, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, her kind of her life and her game. And it's this kind of big uh, kind of embedded thriller. And, And I think partially just because we're living in this moment where there's this weird overlap between kind of fear about sort of these body horror issues that Cronenberg deals with, but also this kind of virtual technology. Like this was, you know, kind of one of the other times where we talked about, you know, virtual things, virtual reality quite a bit in the late nineties. And so it was really interesting to revisit it now. And and honestly, I, I still love it just like I did back then. This does sound like a rewatcher though. So you, you do go back to this one frequently. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, it, I'll probably watch it again in like five years, and we'll <laughs> see how it goes. But it's actually it's available, I think, on both Canopy and Hoopla through the library. Um, if people want to watch it, yeah. So yeah, Just make sure to, I'll make sure to link to those pages in the the show notes for listeners. Check it out. Let's talk a little bit about this final selection here uh, that you've got for us today. What is this last movie that comes to mind when you think about getting through a year full of unprecedented times? Um, My final one, it actually kind of ties in a little bit with one of the cooler like theatrical experiences that I had in uh, at our theater at OKCMOA. Uh, We programmed a few years ago this 
14-hour Argentine movie called La Flor. And we showed it over a period of, of a few days. And a few people hung in there with us. And it was it was great. I mean, it was this kind of almost, you know, uh, compilation of these, you know, different, different stories. It was all by one filmmaker, but they were kind of all in different genres and styles. Um, and so one of the movies I watched during the pandemic was uh, Mariano Linas, this same Argentine filmmakers, uh, previous film, Extraordinary Stories, I think from 2008. And it's not nearly as long as The Floor, it's four hours long. Uh, but it's this kind of very kind of twisty, turny kind of narrative. It has sort of three intertwined and they're, they kind of revolve around these different men who they're not given names, kind of just letters. And so there's this guy named, uh, H who is this engineer kind of in this small town. And he, um, takes over this position from this guy who's kind of almost vanished. And he like devotes his life to finding out what happens to him. And then there's this other guy who called the X who witnesses this odd, like crime and sort of becomes like embroiled. In it. And he like, holes up in this hotel and kind of imagines maybe what could have happened to kind of cause this thing that he saw. And then there's this other guy who embarks kind of on a trip down a river to photograph these kind of mysterious monuments. And he meets this other guy who's basically intent on destroying the same monuments he wants to photograph. And so they're all kind of interwoven together. And there's all of this uh, kind of narration and there's uh, like documents and letters. It's it's almost like a pop-up book of a movie or something. And you just, and even though it's pretty, um, you know, artsy in some ways, like you can kind of just like lay back and like watch it because there's so much there and it's so kind of mysterious and um, you never quite know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of strong hooks there. And uh, I mean, I think especially in the streaming era, uh, if Warner Brothers has anything to say about it, it's that we can apparently watch four-hour movies uh, on our couch. So, uh, you know, Extraordinary Stories, I haven't caught that. Check it out, listeners, uh, and we'll uh, make sure to note where that might be streaming at. Uh, Now, uh, I'm Extraordinary story so I, again I just want to reiterate this is the first time you'd seen this particular film yeah that was the that was the first time I'd ever I'd ever seen that one I'd meant to for a long time and I basically just finally had the time <laughs> to sit down and watch it and yeah it was great just kind of the long leisurely experience of watching it was really nice Definitely. And I mean, did you, would you say that you found that that occurred a lot during the pandemic where you're like, Hey, I have this huge watch list of things I didn't have time for before, but all of a sudden now I do. Was that like a common thing that happened or I don't know. I'm just curious what that looked like for you. I mean, to some extent, there were a few things that I, you know, had finally had the time to see. I mean, partially I feel like I watched a lot of stuff especially between like theatrical stuff at the museum and virtual stuff. Like I was watching probably twice as much stuff for work as I had before. And so a lot of the stuff that I saw was stuff that we ended up, you know, showing in either the theater or virtual cinema, but even some of that stuff, you know, was, were things that I had seen like, Oh, you know, that was at this festival or that, or, you know, or I'd been kind of waiting for things to come out. And so, whenever things like that were available, I was like, Oh, I must watch that. And so, you know, so I, I feel like I probably didn't check as many things off my wish list as, as I, I wish I had, I suppose, but, but there are definitely a few. That's super exciting though. So, I mean, it sounds like 2020 
all things considered, though, was ended up being, I mean, silver linings, I guess, but this, you, you transitioned to a full-time role uh, with MOA. So, I mean, is this, uh, I mean, looking forward to as we you start to you know slowly reopen the theater, are you pretty excited about what you've got coming next? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, we're just kind of, we've been programming sort of, you know, just month by month as things come out. So I'm kind of looking forward to May. I still don't really know what we're going to totally do yet, but I think, I think we have a lot of good things coming up and I, uh, yeah, look forward to, you know, even opening the theater, you know, a little bit more once we get the chance. Um, and kind of just seeing, seeing where things go. I feel, I feel like there's a lot of potential. Um, I don't really know what 2021 will, will bring for us totally, but, but I think there's a lot to look forward to. Very cool. All right. Well, so that last film you mentioned, I got a little off topic there, but that last film you mentioned, Extraordinary Stories. It's a four-hour epic. I definitely want to check it out. Listeners should too. Well, uh, Lisa, uh, it's been really great talking with you today. Uh, where can listeners who've enjoyed l- tuning into this conversation, where can they keep up with you and all of your work at the OKC MOA online? Um, the All the film stuff is in okcmoa.com backslash films. Um, and st- we actually have this great new website that launched about a month ago. Um, and so everything, both are kind of theatrical films and virtual films you can find find there. Um, and you can, you can buy tickets to, uh, both the in-person screenings and passes to watch virtual films there. And so that, that would be great. We'd, we'd love to have you either in the theater or, um, with us virtually. Wonderful. And uh, I did want to give you an opportunity. I mean, I know you guys have, of course, the there's like the general membership of, of the museum, but you also have the film society membership. So is there like what are some of the benefits uh, of, of joining that group? And, um, you know, is that something that listeners should consider checking out? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the film society membership, it's kind of an add on to your regular um, museum membership. And typically we do uh, four events per year. And that's something that we're really looking forward after kind of not being able to get together with people to ramping up in 2021, where, you know, often we'll have special guests or, you know, we'll screen movies and get together and talk about them. And so that's really fun. And also uh, the film society members get an extra discount on movie tickets. So regular movie ticket, uh, regular museum members get movie tickets for $6 and film society members, it's only $5. So there's a little kind of extra incentive there to come to films as well. So um, yeah, we would love to have you in the, the film society, anybody who's listening. And I think, you know, going forward, it'll be a lot of fun once we can kind of all get together and talk about movies, which I'm really excited to do. Yeah, yeah, and I know just at some of the events I've attended, you guys have brought in various like film and art critics, or uh, even the filmmakers themselves. I think it was Kel- Kelly, was it Kelly Reichhart? I think a couple of years back, yeah. uh, and that was mm-hmm. a really just being able to hear straight from the director talking a little about some of her movies. So again, um, really awesome program for you know cinephiles out there or people who just love movies. Uh, so make sure to check all that out over at the uh, Oklahoma Museum, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma City Museum of Art website. Uh, Lisa Broad, PhD, Head of Film Programming and Theatrical Operations at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us on the Cinematic Schematic today. Oh, thank you for having me.
Thank you for tuning in to the final part of our special interview series on three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic with today's special guest, Lisa Broad. In this series, we've really had the pleasure of speaking with a wide variety of people working in Oklahoma's film and television industry, including Reservation Dogs showrunner Sterling Harjo, the Dead Center Film Festival executive director Alex Picard, uh, and city council person James Cooper, uh, Collider's Adam Chitwood, among many, many others. And while 2020 was undoubtedly a challenging year for many people working in the entertainment industry, it also, for many, came with several silver linings. Now, what marks the end of one thing is also the beginning of another. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are so excited to partner with the Dead Center 2021 Film Festival here at the Cinematropolis. We'll be bringing you thoughtful conversations that excite, inspire, and connect filmmakers and film enthusiasts in order to foster film-going communities across Oklahoma as as part of the Dead Center 2021 Film Festival. And we'll be hosting exclusive interviews with a variety of filmmakers, festival staff, and notable attendees right here on the Cinematic Schematic podcast. And outside of listening to future episodes of the Cinematic Schematic, make sure to support the Dead Center 2021 Film Festival by buying a pass and checking out their wonderful lineup of films at deadcenterfilm.org. Again, that is deadcenterfilm.org. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I hope you'll consider leaving us a rating and review on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow all of our work at The Cinematropolis by following us on Twitter at The Cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. You can also find more of my work by following me on Twitter at CMasterstalk. That is letter C, Masters Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you again next time. 